You are listening to a Sunday morning message from River Corner Church. River Corner Church is a growing church community of everyday people who gather to worship God, follow Jesus, and journey through life together. You are invited to gather with us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. If you have any questions about something you heard in this message, or if you want to learn more about our growing church community, visit us online at rivercornerchurch.com. Well, there's a story that Ronald Kennegan Carnegie tells, a time which his college roommate joined the Peace Corps. And he was going to be assigned to a bunch of uh, groups and projects in Latin America. And as he was assigned there, part of his training process was to be dropped off in Mexico in the outskirts of Mexico, right across the border, where when they were dropped off, they were instructed to leave their wallets, their purses, their passport, their suitcases, any sort of American privilege on the bus. And then the bus, they watched the bus drive away. And they were told that in one week, you'll get all those things back. But for the next week, you have to survive here in rural Mexico without any of your privilege, without any of your, your uh, resources. And they were also expressively forbidden to make telephone calls back to the United States. They were forbidden to venture across the border back into the U.S. And this was a test of their training, a test of survival, surviving a week without any American privileges or money, and this would test their readiness to go on to working in community in Latin America where they were the only people that were from the North. Now, I imagine for most of us, that would be a really hard thing to consider to do. How many of you think, oh, that sounds really fun to be dropped across the border in some crime-infested area without any of my help or resources? Now, I will admit, perhaps 30 years ago, I would have thought, hey, that sounds a little daring and fun. But at this point in life, that does not sound exciting in any way. I like adventure, but that sort of adventure is beyond uh, what I'd feel comfortable with. This morning, we're going to be looking at a story as we continue our series, The Time Has Come, as we continue this series looking at the way Jesus has declared into these moments that the kingdom of God is at hand, that they are to repent and experience it right now. And as he makes a difference right here and now, not just in eternity, we're going to see that he begins to flip the script. It's now focusing on that he's preparing his followers, his initial disciples, and then you and I, to do the things that he did. We begin to see that he's saying, I want you guys to also be part of that transformation in the moment. And in doing so, he sends his disciples out much like the training of this Peace Corps. We're going to be looking at Mark 6, 6b through 12. And um, I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to kind of discuss it here for a little bit, but we're going to be in Mark 6, 6b through 12. We're picking up just where we left off last week where, uh, or two weeks ago where Jesus said, uh, you know, a prophet's not welcome in his hometown. And then it begins with this story. Mark 6, 6b through 12. Then Jesus went around teaching 
from village to village. And again, remember that these villages, this Galilean region, are really right on top of each other. And calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. And when you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. In this story, we see something interesting. Jesus sends out his 12 with little resources, almost no privilege, and with a dependency on God's provision, unlike they've probably ever had a trust in before. Now, it's common in this era to send out messengers two by two. Sending out two individuals with a message or a herald, some proclamation that they had to embody, demonstrate, and announce uh, not only provided protection for them, but two people provided an extra witness, a validation or an affirmation to the message they were carrying. For instance, if I was uh, here today and I was telling you, guys, this morning I was eating my cereal and all of a sudden I looked up and Jesus was sitting at the table with me and we had a conversation. Your first instinct would be, well, Jeff has lost his mind, right? There would be this this idea that that just seems far out. But if there were two people saying the same message, if Katie was like, hey, I too was there and I saw him, all of a sudden you would feel a little bit more like, I'm going to listen to this message because it seems like there's a credible witness there, my wife. And, And so the idea is that Jesus is sending him out not in a way only for protection, as was common in the era, but also as a way of providing credible witness. In fact, this idea shows up in scriptures throughout the whole narrative of scriptures. If we go back to Deuteronomy, you don't have to follow, I'm going to have it up here. Jesus says that basically they were to, uh, God says they were to accept the witness of two or three witnesses. If you want to know if a message was true in this time, if it had some God-ordained truth in it, then you would accept the witness of two or three individuals who were providing that witness. And later on, he tells them that actually, uh, it is by the mouth of two or three witnesses that a matter, a legal matter, a civil matter, should be established. Right? Not just word against word, which is what 90% of our court cases seem to be today. Uh, you were supposed to have these eyewitnesses. And when you had these eyewitnesses, then truth could be established. Going on in Ecclesiastes, it said that uh, there's this proverb that two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and no one has someone to help them up. So initially, from the start of this passage, we see Jesus is very intentional with the reasoning that he's sending out his disciples in pairs, two by two. He's living into the witness of scripture, the witness of wisdom, but he's also mirroring the way things are done in his culture. He's contextualized his ministry. And so we see from the start the spiritual significance of intimate community. 
It's important for us to have people in which we are known by and known with and that we can share in mission together. In the 1950s, there was an anthropologist by the name of Edward T. Hall, and he did lots of experiments on social uh, experiments of, you and, of, of individuals, of humans. And his science was called proxemics, or the idea of how we live into proximity of certain people. Years later, there was an author, um, his name escapes my mind right now, that kind of uh, adapted this into Christianity and looked at it through the life of Jesus. But the point is, the findings were this. All of us belong, at some level, to public space. If I go to a Phillies game, in fact, when Naomi was three months old, I took her to her first Phillies game. We were in San Diego. We went to three games in a row. And there for a moment, we found community. There were other Phillies fans that lived in the area and some that had come out on a bus group. And in that moment, as we're cheering on the Phillies, as they swept four games, we were at three of the four away from the Padres, uh, everyone starts high-fiving. Everyone's buying each other food. I think I even passed her to another fan like, that was holding her for a while. In that moment, we had public gathering. We belonged together. We were family. Now, I'm also not in that space sharing too much transparency about my struggles in life because in that moment, we're just belonging in a very shallow sense of belonging. And then the next space is social space. That's where we find a community of like 40 people, Sunday school, a small group sometimes, somewhere where we're going to get to know each other a little bit more, but, and we reveal a little bit more of who we are. Maybe we share our families together, but we're not going to like totally still share everything about all of our struggles. And then the next space is called personal space, and that's where we have maybe five or six best friends. And we tell them some things, but there's still some things we don't tell them. And Edward T. Hall found that the next space is what's called personal uh, or private space or naked space. The, that is the one space that we are willing to expose all of our inner thoughts to, usually our spouse or a unique best friend that's grown up with us. And, and that, uh, I'm finding, both social space and that naked space is missing in most American culture. We've lost that in some way. But I would say that... Uh, that part right there, that sense of having one person that you can do life with and share life with is exactly what Jesus is doing here. And so we see this spiritual significance of intimate community, having somebody that you can depend on. We also see that uh, there's a spiritual significance of having public witness together, that, that in all honesty, Jesus is saying, guys, a message is better when it's carried together. I'm not expecting anyone to be the lone ranger in here. Ironically, for those of you that remember the Lone Ranger, the Lone Ranger wasn't really alone either, right? He had, was, yeah, right? He had his best friend that like helped him do everything. Batman, the lone you know, superhero, really has Robin and Alfred behind him. There's an importance of us doing public witness together. And we also see here that there's this common sense aspect that, we're protected when we're in group. We're protected from the challenges that life throws at us. It gives us a space to be accountable, to be encouraged, to be uh, equipped and empowered. Now, what I think is most interesting is how he challenges them to travel light, or very little. They were to go on this long, hard road with stuff that wasn't even adequate for the journey ahead. 
Most of us have been raised with this gritty sense of work hard, supply for yourself, care for others, but let no one care for you, right? That's kind of our, our upbringing in many ways. It's our American culture. It's a do-it-yourself attitude. But here, he's not only telling them to be reliant on God's provision, but also the provision of others. Greg Keener, a, a biblical theologian and historian, points out that Jesus sends them out like common folk or peasants, who hopefully not pheasants, uh, peasants who often could only afford one coat. In other words, he didn't want them to look like they had more privilege than anyone else. They were to look like they too were suffering from the hardships of life. But in sending them out two by two, he also sends them out as philosophers, which was common in his day. Philosophers would, would go out two by two, and they would engage things. We see Paul do this with the, the unknown God in Acts. There was this idea that people would go out into the town square and argue philosophy with you. It seems like a weird hobby, but they would carry with them a small bag that after they've argued or taught you philosophy, you were supposed to return the favor by putting money into their bag. By the way, they were called cynics. So our, our term, cynicism, like when we're cynical of somebody, comes from this idea that when philosophers were sent out two by two. And so doing so, Jesus says, don't take a bag with you, right? I'm sending you out like cynics, but don't take the bag. You are to give truth, information, insight, philosophy, without expecting anything in return. Even if that's not the bag he meant, and he just was talking about this little goat-shaped, uh, goat-skinned bag that they would have carried for provisions, uh, we see then he's saying at least you're not taking money or resources with you, right? You're not doing anything that you have power. And in this way, I also think it's interesting that he's sending them out in the same way that Jeremiah, John the Baptist, Isaiah, and other prophets are sent out. They're, they're sent out just to carry the message of God. There's no resources, no no backing behind them. In fact, if you ever want to read a really good book, there's a book called um, When Charity Destroys Dignity. When Charity Destroys Dignity. And it is a book on how we've done more harm in our missionary movements by uh, supporting missionaries rather than just sending them out to be totally dependent on God. And it's done by one of the Brethren in Christ uh, uh, missionaries uh, and things that he's learned from his time. It's a great read, but that's what Jesus is doing here. He's sending them out to experience abandonment, to experience poverty and destruction and oppression. The list of what they were allowed to bring is much smaller than what they were not allowed to bring. But they're significant. They were allowed a friend, a staff, a belt, thankfully, sandals, and they were allowed to clothe on their back. They were not allowed to bring bread, bags, money, extra clothes, extra supplies. And in sending them out, he prioritizes what matters most, right? The spiritual significance of what it means to be living dependent on God. As he sends them out, I couldn't help as I was reflecting on this to realize he's sending them out very much in the Lord's Prayer. That they were to go dependent on this line, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There was nothing they could manifest or make happen. They were totally dependent on God's will being done in that moment. 
And quickly we just see that there's this spiritual significance that living extraordinarily, but not extravagantly. We aren't supposed to live with a bunch of stuff, but we are supposed to live extraordinarily, dependent on God. And we see the spiritual significance of being philosophers that counteract the world as prophetic witnesses who bring about a new way of living. We also see that he sends them out with spiritual significance of giving freely as they've been freely given. And we see the spiritual significance of being totally dependent on God and the care of others. In essence, Jesus is sending them out with this message. As you go, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your understanding. Though that message was given thousands of years before in the Proverbs. It's this idea that the witness Jesus sends him out to is nothing new, but old. He's brought back to them the way that God has always designed for his message to be carried. We're reminded in that then the words of Jeremiah. It said, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by the water. We sang something similar to that this morning. He does not fear heat or drought and so on. It's, a, it's the way of living that Paul tells the church in Philippi, God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in Christ Jesus. Jesus is teaching this invaluable lesson for them, that those who want to follow him will experience the throes of life. But there's this invitation, as he tells them later, to abide in me as I abide in you. He's teaching them not to be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on, because isn't life more than food, as he says later on in Matthew. Right? Isn't it more that your body more than clothing? As we begin to look at this passage of Mark, and you're going to see as Mark goes on from here, the disciples begin to have more authority. They were given this Challenge to do the same thing that Jesus has been doing up to this point. Up to this point, Jesus has been the one that's been declaring the time has come, repent and believe the good news, the kingdom of God is at hand. But now he's giving them the authority and the challenge, and in doing so, gives all followers of Jesus the same challenge, to give this message of repent and believe the good news, right? Change the way you're thinking. It's a philosophy term. And begin to realize that the kingdom of God, the truth, is right there. It's within grasp. Now, in this time, hospitality was much better than you and I probably practice it as well. Whenever a pilgrim or a poor person was found in the center of town, it was, in the Middle East culture, uh, expected that you would bring somebody home. When's the last time anyone in here ever brought somebody home they found in a town square? Because it's never happened. Actually, that's not true. I did do it in my spiritual search, and it was weird. He stayed there for three weeks, and uh, I had eventually kick him out, right? There, this is just something we don't do in our culture. But when a stranger entered a village in search of hospitality, they believed it was the duty of the village to care for them. And in doing so, we see that Jesus mirrors that same thing. But this time, they're not the ones providing the hospitality. They're the ones that are becoming dependent on the hospitality. And in doing so, he makes the home, not the church, 
the center of operations, the base of operations, and what it means to transform a town or a region. William Barclay points out, Jesus meant his disciples to see the humble homes they were to enter were as every bit sacred as the temple courts. I love that. That the home is just as sacred as what you and I are doing here today. And that it's meant with intentionality. Quickly, we just see the spiritual significance of local ministry. They're being sent into neighborhoods. We see spiritual significance of being present in home and especially in the homes of others. And we see the spiritual significance of abiding and relying and trusting on God. Now, we don't see it as much in this, and this will be my last point. And we don't see it as much in this story as we do in the sending out of the 72, which will happen later. But we learn a little bit more details there of how Jesus sent people out. When they went into a home, they were supposed to say, peace be on this home. And I'm sure he sent that same message with the 12 here because the rest of the description matches here. Go out, find a home, and declare to that home, that home that extends hospitality to, shalom, right? Peace. This idea that they were to experience God's blessing in every area and arena of life. The blessing that we are to share is not selective. Go and proclaim to all, it says in the 72, that there is this sense of God's peace that can be experienced. And then he says, when they welcome you, same like in this story, when they welcome you, go into the home. Accept what's given to you. Accept the food that's given to you. Missiologists call this a people of a person of peace. The idea is that how do you know who you're supposed to minister to? Well, in this story, it's the one who's willing to serve you. The one that's willing to invite you into their home. The one that gives you something. Right, for years we lived in a city, and I had a lawnmower and my neighbor didn't. And he would knock once a week and say, can I borrow your lawnmower? Okay, I always say, sure. Usually came back with a loose wheel, empty gas, you can imagine. But he never did something in return. Now, that tells me I'm just kind of being used in that situation, right? But if he would have said, hey, can I borrow? And then bought back extra, brought back extra gas or invited me over to dinner or something, at that point where he's willing to serve me, I suddenly become aware that I have a sense of honor in his life or a sense of influence that needs steward. Jesus sends out his disciples with this idea that those who are willing to serve you is who you'll have influence over. Don't worry about everyone. Bless everyone. And those who are willing to go to the next step, those are the people that you've been called to steward for the kingdom. Those are the places in which you have been called to share your influence. It could be those other people will have other people, but you are just to focus on those places where you find people serving you. And then he says this. He says, and if they don't welcome you, wipe the dust off your feet. Which was very common that day. In fact, Jews, they didn't really like to travel outside of their region. But if some reason they had to go into a Gentile territory, before they crossed the border back into their home, they would scrub the bottom of their feet. They would wipe it off for, for two reasons. One, they believed that uh, sin was sticky, right? 
And they believed that they probably were going to bring back something into the community or that perhaps while they were walking around, they picked up something worldly that they may personally carry back with them. And so they would intentionally wipe off their feet. And that's Jesus' point here. But he, he's twisting it for a different way if we consider this in light of the Lord's Prayer. He's telling them, in the places where people don't receive you, in the places where you don't feel welcomed or served, Guys, don't carry that brokenness with you. The places people have hurt you, don't hold on to it. Let go of it as soon as you can, because it will inhibit your witness. It will distract you by pulling you in. Focus only on the places where I've opened the door, where the places that people are willing to serve you. And the passage says, and they went, and people were healed. People received miracles and healing. And good news, it says that everywhere they went, people repented. Well, what was the repenting? It was the same message Jesus starts Mark 1.15 with. That the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As we close out in song, I would tell you, I think that same idea works today. Look for the people in your life that you have influence on by seeing their willingness to serve you, to accept you and your message, and realize it's those places that are not just friendships, but places you are to steward for the kingdom. And don't do it alone. Find that space of where you have somebody that proclaims with you, that has that sense of intimacy with God and with you that you can depend on and stay accountable with. Jesus sends the 12 out very intentionally. He does it again with the 72. And I think he expects the same of you and I today. We are now the ones that proclaim the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And we do so like philosophers who ask for nothing in return. We go totally dependent on God and his spirit to lead the way. 